Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. We know that pathology is one of the lesser known medical specialties and that it isn't a required rotation in most medical schools. So how can we get more medical students interested in pathology? My guest today is Dr. Phoebe Hammer. Dr. Hammer is a second year pathology resident and she's also first author on a paper called 100 Years of the Pathology Medical Student Fellowship. We're going to talk about her path into medical school, her experience in the student fellowship, and some of her research about this program. Here's Dr. Phoebe Hammer. Now, I want to go back to the beginning with you because from the reading I was doing about you, uh, you were interested in the medical field as early as high school. So I'm curious how, like, where did that interest come from? Well, I think I've been interested in the medical field or at least biology in general since I was a, a little kid. So, um, okay. I don't have any parents, like my parents are not in medicine. Actually, my dad owns a surfboard shop and my mom is a teacher and they always say like, wow, I can't believe you decided to be a doctor and they're very excited about it. But um, as a kid, I just, I, I really loved things like putting milky bread in the refrigerator to see what grew out of it and collecting pond water. So I knew I really liked science. And when I was in probably third or fourth grade, um, a group of doctors from Oregon Health and Science University or OHSU in Portland, um, where I actually ended up going to med school, brought in some pig hearts. And I just remember holding the pig hearts and looking at the different parts of it and thinking, wow, science is the coolest thing. And like healthcare and medicine is really fun. Okay. So that's kind of where it came from. Now, did you grow up in Oregon? Yes. So I grew up in Oregon and I'm um, from Portland and right next to Portland or in Portland, there's a main med school, OHSU. And so when I was a kid, we used to go shadow at OHSU. When I was in high school, we would visit the anatomy lab there. And so I always knew about OHSU and I was like, I want to be here someday. That makes sense then that then going into college, you studied biology, which is what you were interested in, like you said, since you were a little kid. Yeah. And at first I, you know, as a early first year in college, you know, it was just biology in general. And I remember in my first year, I did both plant biology and animal and human biology. And I just, plant biology was not for me. I think I remember xylem and phloem, two words from plant biology, and that's it. It just could not stick with me. I could not pay attention. And then the animal biology and the human physiology, even those classes that are like years and years ago now, I remember learning about blood pressure and hemoglobin and all of that stuff for the first time. And just, I just remembered it better because I thought it was more fun. What about like microbiology? Like, because the reason this interests me is because I, I majored in biology as well. And, but I was more about like microbiology, not really human biology. I also love microbiology, um, and maybe that's one of the reasons why I ended up kind of in pathology as well. And one of the reasons I really like microbiology is that um, one of my high school teachers, she was one of our science teachers. She taught microbiology and genetics, and it was from those classes that I really had decided, you know what, I, I definitely want to do biology. It's not just something that I find fun. It's what I want my future to be. And I'm trying to think if I took a, like a specific microbiology course when I was in college. 
I don't think I did, but I did take immunology. And we talked a lot about kind of infectious diseases from a immunology standpoint, which I found to be really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it seems like, you know, things like immunology and microbiology and genetics as well, like a lot of that depends on the way it's presented. Like it's, it's depending on, on the, the teacher and the teaching style. Cause some, cause some of those topics can be pretty boring if they're not presented in sort of a interesting way. Yes, that is so true. I, I have friends in my life and even my own husband who are like, Oh, science is so boring. And I don't know how you do it. And I think <laughs> what middle school teacher or high school teacher ruined science for you because it really is great. And I've been so influenced by amazing teachers. And I always think about that. I, I, you know, I have a family of teachers. So my mom is a teacher and my twin sister is a teacher. And I think about how much more influence you have in someone's life and someone's future career at that age is than you do even once someone's in college and they already know what major they're doing. And and you've done some teaching as well, which uh, we're going to get into a, a little bit later. But going into medical school, did you have an idea of like what specialties you were interested in? Did that did you think about those kind of things before you got in there? Well, I really had no idea what kind of medicine I wanted to do once I got to medical school. And I think the main reason for that is even going back to college, I was never you know, I, I knew I wanted to do healthcare, but I was, I was not very confident that like, I was born to be a doctor and that like, I was going to be great at that and that I was going to get into med school. And so when I was a senior in college, I was talking to my healthcare advisor and I was saying, oh, I think I might want to apply to nursing school or maybe PA school or maybe nurse anesthetist programs. And I basically named like every field in medicine, except for being a doctor. And she said, you know, Phoebe, you're only one class away from meeting the prereq requirements. Um, all you need to do is one more semester of physics. Have you thought about <laughs> applying to med school and, and being a doctor? I think it'd be a good fit for you. And I said, well, I don't know. I, I probably can't get in, but yeah, I'll take a semester of physics. So I took my semester of physics and then I graduated from college and actually moved to San Francisco in the Bay Area and worked in restaurants. And so while I was applying to med school, um, I work on my applications during the day and then go serve tables at night. And I sent in my applications. And like everyone, I sent out a bunch of applications and didn't get many interviews. And OHSU, which is my dream program, I got an interview. And I found out that I got waitlisted in April and uh, I'll never forget. They tell you what number you are on the waitlist. And I was number 57. Wow. And I could watch the waitlist move daily and they would update the website. So I would check every day and it was, you know, it was on number 20 and then it was on 28 and then it was 31 and then, it, you know, and it would slowly trickle up throughout the summer and it was on number 56 for, I, I kid you not, like five weeks. And I had basically, I couldn't think about what I would do once I got to med school. It was too upsetting because I didn't know if I was going to med school. And then the Friday before school at OHSU started, 
I got a call from the admissions office. They knew me well because I called them like every day. <laughs> and they mm-hmm. said, Phoebe, someone just dropped out. Do you want the spot? And I said, yes, absolutely. And so the next day on that Saturday, I bought a plane. So I bought a plane ticket. I moved from the Bay Area to Portland, met up with my mom. She helped me find an apartment. I I moved the next day on Sunday. And then on Monday, I was a medical student. So you did that all over, over a weekend? Yes, over a weekend. So I have to say, when I arrived to med school, you know, and showed up with my computer and, and ready to take notes, I was just like a deer in the headlights. I had not thought about what I was going to do once mm. I got there. And med school's pretty busy. I just started, you know, you just start going and you're doing your classes. Did you feel like you kind of started a little bit behind or, or, or not? Or not? <laughs> so no, I actually, my friends joke with me. Um, I worked really hard and I stayed up. I would stay up studying to like 11 PM, which now I can't even imagine because I'm not really a night person. And I, I think I felt like I had something to prove my classroom portion of my medical school was pass, no pass. And so my friends would say, Hey, Phoebe, you're definitely going to pass. We had these weekly quizzes and I would say, no, I need to keep studying. Like I'm, I barely got in. I'm the last person in this class that deserves it. And then I started getting like hundred percent on my quizzes and all my friends were like, Phoebe, you need to, you need to calm down. You made it. You're worthy. You're worthy. And so, um, (laughs) I calmed down, I think a few weeks in. I mean, I, I can understand that just, you know, being waitlisted and getting in it kind of really the last minute to, to feel like you had something to prove. That makes sense to me. <laughs> T- tell me about the specialties. Like you said, you had no idea what you wanted to get into. How did that develop? Well, I think so. The way that medical schools are set up, most programs uh, have a, two years of the classroom portion of the curriculum, which is your like pathophysiology courses, your histology, your anatomy, and we have guest lectures who come in. Mm -hmm. So if we're learning about ovarian cancer, an OB-GYN will come in and give a lecture about the clinical aspects of that. And then the pathologist would come and give the explanation of the different types of pathology with that. And in those first couple of years, I feel like you're so you kind of pick specialties for a superficial reason because you don't have much experience. And so I remember there was one great OB-GYN lecture and I was after that class, I was like, I want to be an OB-GYN. And then I uh, talked to a dermatologist who was really happy and I was like, okay, great. I want to be a dermatologist. So I, I kind of would move around to these different, uh, interests, but I don't think I had like a solid reasoning. And I I have to admit, I didn't really think about pathology as a specialty. You, you kind of, it's so different than so much of medicine. I, I loved my pathology courses and I loved the pathologist who gave the lectures and loved the histology and said to myself, wow, this is so cool. I want to do a field in which I get to think about all this cool pathology, <laughs> but it didn't necessarily like connect about being a pathologist until much later, until I did the student fellowship. Well, all right, let's get into that then. How did you, how did you discover that there was this pathology student fellowship? 
Well, I had a great friend who told me about it. And uh, I think part of the reason why I did the fellowship, or maybe the main reason why I did the fellowship, was this uncertainty of what specialty I wanted to go into. So at my medical school, and at a lot of medical schools now, they're condensing the classroom portion of the curriculum to a year and a half. And then that leaves more time for clinical rotations. I think most med students really like that. They want to get out of the classroom portion and they want to be doing what they came here to do and seeing patients and, you know, changing the world. <laughs> and and I, I was like, no, I love the classroom portion. I love learning about this pathology. I love looking at histology. I'm not ready to go into clinical medicine. I don't know what I want to do. So I was... I was lamenting that fact to my friend uh, who was in my class, and she said, oh, well, you know, I was talking to this upperclassman who did something called the Pathology Student Fellowship. It's this program where you leave medical school for a year, and you go do more pathology and get more learning, and you see more histology and learn better anatomy. And I thought, wow, that's exactly what I want to do. I'm not ready. I met with the pathology student fellowship director at the time. His name was Don Houghton and he'd been doing it forever. And he had been a student fellow as well. Met up with him the next week. We had a very laid back conversation and he said, okay, I like you. The fellowship's yours if you want it. I said, yes. And then two months later, instead of going into my clinical rotations, I actually left medical school and then joined this year-long pathology program. Okay. Were you the only person, like, is it a one, one spot in that fellowship? No, there were actually four other people with me. Or okay. Sorry, there was four of us total. So there was me and then another person who had just come out of their clinical rotation. And then there were two students who were a year above me who had done a year of clinical rotations and now they were leaving their clinical rotations midway through to then do the pathology. So the four of us became very close. It, it seems like because this is a year, like you said, you leave medical school to do this year of, of, of a fellowship, like that would be kind of daunting that, it, you know, adding that extra time to your medical school, to your medical education. Is that, did that play any role with you as far as deciding to do it? You know, People ask me that all the time and they say, oh, I could have never done that. I, you know, training is such a long experience. If you want to be a doctor, you've got four years of medical school and then you've got three to nine years of residency, depending on what you do. And then you have fellowships and then you're an attending and you get to do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't really feel that way. I think that I am doing what I want to do. Like <laughs> as a pathology student fellow, I was getting paid. Well, it was more of a stipend really, but I was just excited to have a job in healthcare, in medicine. I didn't feel like it was stalling my future. I felt like I was just going to work every day and, and doing something that I wanted to do. I also think time, time flies when you're busy. And while four years of medical school feels like a long time, after that first year and a half, when I had just finished the classroom portion, I felt like I had just started. I felt like I didn't know anything and that I was, it all went by too fast. So I was not, you know, in a huge hurry 
to get through it. I wanted mm. more. Okay. I see. Then let's talk for a little bit about your experience in the pathology student fellowship. Like how, how did it start? And what kind of things did you do? Yes. So what is the fellowship? Most people do not know. Um, there's really nothing else like it in all of medicine. It's such a unique program because basically as a med student, as a second year, I left my classroom portion of medical school and I just started the same roles and responsibilities as what a first year anatomic pathology resident would do. So that meant that I rotated on autopsy. So I did four months of autopsy and actually two of those months, I was completely by myself as the sole trainee. So that was uh, a, that was a lot of experience um, yeah. in a short amount of time. Uh, and then most of it was surgical pathology. So uh, I rotated both at the main hospital, OHSU, and then also at the VA. And so during that time, I did the same things that a resident would do. So in surgical pathology, that means I would gross my own specimens. So anywhere from biopsies to highly complex specimens like whipples and pelvic degenerations and really fun things like that. Okay. I would preview my own cases and so look at the microscope and then sign them out one-on-one -on -one with my faculty member the next day. And I would also help with uh, frozen sections from the OR. Now, two things that you mentioned, the autopsies and the grossing, which it seems like it, you know, these days in medical school and, and well, in pathology residency, that's a little bit less of the focus, you know, and it's more about the microscopic things. Did you enjoy doing those things? And do you feel like those things really should, they should be more and more important, more of an, uh, like there should be more of an emphasis on those areas? Yeah. So like how important is grossing an autopsy for your training as a pathologist? Yeah. Um, at Stanford, where I'm a resident, we gross one to two specimens a day. And so I think it's it's actually a lot less than I did when I was a student fellow um, because I would have like a full grossing day. And I would also come in on Saturdays when I was on my surge path rotations and also gross. And for me, I think both are important. Everything is important. I mean, I could be in training in pathology forever. There's always more to learn. There's always more to do. When you do go out and practice, most pathologists who are surgical pathologists, which is what I want to do, are going to end up looking at glass and signing out cases for most of the day. So you want to be really confident in your diagnostic ability. And I think that's something that when you have to cut something, you don't want to lose that. So you cut autopsy, you cut the amount of grossing. And I think that is valid and, and needs to be done. But what I loved about my student fellowship is that I had an extra year of training in pathology, basically. Um, and so I don't feel like I had to cut anything. I got really good at autopsies and I've done like 70 autopsies now, probably way more than most residents. I feel really confident in my grossing ability after the fellowship year. 
So I, I think just going in as a resident where then I could focus on seeing a lot of glass and becoming a better diagnostician was just such a helpful combination for me. You know, that makes a lot of sense. Like going into residency, you've already got the sort of proficiency in autopsy and grossing. And you, and you can, like you just said, you can concentrate on on the microscopic. That that makes that makes a lot of sense. So how long was it into the fellowship where you kind of decided, okay, this is really what I want to do? Well, <laughs> the first two months I did it, I was like, what have I gotten myself into? Because there is a... <laughs> There is a very steep learning curve from being a medical student to being a responsible trainee who, well, you it's just a very different experience. And so for me, that huge jump happened when I was a second year. So I will never forget my very first sign out ever was with kind of a intimidating, very senior level pathologist. And we were looking at an esophagus biopsy. And she asked me, oh, what did the EGD show? And I looked at her blankly and I said, well, uh, what's an EGD? So for those who don't know, an EGD is the, is the scope that they put down your esophagus. And then they look and they can see like, oh, there's a mass. Let's biopsy it. But mm-hmm. I had never done clinical rotations. So I didn't really know this terminology and about what it meant to do clinical things. And so she looked at me when I said, what's an EGD? And she said, I'm going to take these cases and I'm going to sign them out on my own. And I will show you some highlights afterwards. But what you need to do is learn what an EGD is and learn how to use EPIC, which was the um, electronic health record we were using there. Mm-hmm. And she basically told me, you need to learn like doctor stuff. And so it was it was a big transition to having responsibility from being a second year to then having my own cases and being responsible and then being on autopsy alone was just so busy. I had to do so much research about what these clinical things meant, you know, what these different cords and tubes coming out of people were because I didn't know the difference between like an inner osseous line when, you know, and, and something else. And so I had a lot of learning to do. So the first couple months were a little rough and I was like, what have I signed myself up for? But then once I kind of got over that learning curve, it was probably about three or four months in when I just realized I loved waking up and I loved going to work. And I was, I would walk to work up this big hill because OHSU is on, on top of a hill. And I would just be walking to work, listening to my music, being like, I'm excited to go do my job today. And when I had that realization, I said, I'm never leaving pathology. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I mean, we, I tell people all the time, we see interesting things every single day. So yeah, I can understand the excitement about doing the job for sure. Yeah. And I I think anything else, like once I experienced it, anything else just seems boring. When I rotated on my clinical rotations, things like family med and pediatrics and internal medicine, I felt like we would do these rounds and we would go see patients and we would ask these kind of surface level questions and not really actually get into 
the medicine that I wanted to talk about and think about. We were instead doing, you know, wellness checkups and things that I started to get a little bored by and I would stare at the clock to see when clinic was over. Now, I've heard from a few other people that, you know, when they're in the, the clinical rotations and before they kind of discover what pathology is or, you know, lab medicine is, they, they're like, you know, we, we'd order these lab tests or send tissues to the lab, whatever, and they didn't realize that the lab wasn't just this sort of machine or this box that you would put things in, like there were actual people in there. So you coming from coming out of the fellowship into the clinical rotations, like you already had that knowledge. Did you encounter other other uh, medical students that had that had no idea and you sort of told them, well, no, you know, this is this is what happens and this is what they do with these specimens and things like that? Yeah, well, and you know, it's not just medical students, it's residents, it's fellows, mm, it's yeah. attending surgeons, really no one knows what pathology is. And so few people actually rotated on it, even as an elective in their third and fourth year. And so I would, when I was in internal medicine, uh, I remember we had someone who had, I think it was a esophageal mass and difficulty swallowing and the resident turned to me and he was like how do we how do we do this do we do a fine needle aspiration fna and i was like no do an egd and we go back to the egd my favorite <laughs> procedure nice. um and i remember thinking like wow people don't know anything about pathology it really is this black box where specimens go in and what they think are very straightforward diagnoses go out. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Dr. Phoebe Hammer. We'll be right back. Labvine has recently reached 5,000 members and they're running a lucky draw giveaway to celebrate. All you need to do to enter is refer a friend. So log into Labvine, click the refer a friend button and enter their name and email address. Now, there is no limit to how many people you can refer, but each person has to be either a laboratory professional or someone who works in the healthcare field. And if you're not already a LabVine member, you can follow the link in the show notes to sign up and check out some of the great courses that they have to offer. Dress Med has been designing and manufacturing high-quality scrubs since 1980. The prices are affordable, the shipping is very fast, and the scrubs have lots of pockets, which I really like. I actually have several sets of these myself. So check out Dress Med by using the link in the show notes. You can sign up for their loyalty program for free and earn special offers and discounts. Now back to Dr. Phoebe Hammer on the People of Pathology podcast. So when, when was it then that you got involved in tutoring for, for medical students? Um, I know, It wasn't like a an overnight thing like, oh, I had this aha moment. I want a tutor. Mm. Okay. For me, I learn best by talking through things with people. And so when I was a first year med school uh, med student, I loved going to the tutoring sessions just because I really liked to hear someone talk about something and explain it in a different way. And we could ask questions and, and just have a more in-depth knowledge about it. And then when I was a little bit further along in med school, I had a study group of, there was four of us. And I really liked teaching that material to my friends because it helped me learn and, and it helped me talk through it. And so I just realized that for me, the best way to learn was to teach. And then I realized, oh, I could get paid for this. I should, I should do that 
And so then I started um, as a second year tutoring the first years. And from there, I just never stopped. Um, I, I really like tutoring because a med school is just such a stressful process. And there's so much material that is just presented so quickly. And so I really liked being able to think about something and say to myself, how can I describe this really complex topic in a simplified version that will be helpful for someone? And I found that to be really satisfying when I could do that. And if it meant that I could make medical school just a little less stressful for someone, then that was great. I was going to ask you, like, what, you know, where did this sort of teaching interest comes from? But I, I got to imagine that kind of came from family. I mean, you said your, your mother was a teacher and your sister is a teacher. Is that kind of where that influence came from? Yes, definitely. And I think we're all just kind of extroverts. <laughs> we all, we're all very social people and that, tutoring is a great avenue for that. You're just, you know, constantly talking to people. Um, mm-hmm. And it's fun. And I mean, there's definitely like a self-serving part of it too, where, you know, if I've tutored something, okay, well, I definitely know that topic now and I'm going to never forget that topic. And so it's also helpful for my own personal growth and my learning. I've heard many times, you know, the the best way to learn something is to teach it because you have to really get in depth with it. So that makes a lot of sense. Yes, that's so true. All right. So let's talk about the recent paper. You were first author on this paper. So this is called 100 Years of the Pathology Medical Student Fellowship. And and this is, this actually was just an online, the early online release from the Archives of Pathology at this point. And so I want to talk about this because it sounds like this kind having your own experience with the fellowship, and then you started to sort of research what it was and the history of it. So I, I'm kind of curious about this whole process. So let's start at the beginning of that. How did the idea for this come about? So the idea for this came about uh, when I was a fourth year and we were all applying to our, our different specialties and going on interviews. And if you recall, so there was four of us in my student fellowship cohort, um, two of us, are chose pathology and then the other two chose family medicine and OB-GYN. And I was talking to them and they were saying that during their interviews, no one knew what it was. And so they would, during their interviews, people would say like, oh, I see you did some research in pathology. What was your pathology research? And, you know, there's not time in a 20 minute interview to say like, whoa, actually like it was much more than that. And it was Mm -hmm. like, such a deep learning experience and like I will be a good resident I've I've done some stuff and even for me when I was applying there were pathologists who didn't know what it was and I I remember during one of my interviews they asked me the question what will you bring to this department why will you be a good resident and I said oh, you know, in my head, I'm thinking like, I have a great answer to this. I was a pathology student fellow. And the interviewer said to me, oh, well, when you're a med student, it's really different and it's not the same experience. And I mean, you don't really know what it's like, uh, 
no matter how long you rotate through pathology as a med student. And I was, I was kind of offended. I was like, I feel like I, I do have a better idea than the average med student. I, I basically like did a year of residency mm-hmm. um, and I did not go to that program. And I just was thinking to myself, wow, I wish that more people knew what this was. And especially for my friends who are in family medicine and OB-GYN, I was thinking, I wish that, that they could, you know, their interviewers could just quickly do a search and see what it was. And there's a couple papers out there uh, um, about the pathology medical student fellowship, but it really is from the perspective of how they do once they're in pathology residency. And I was really interested in saying, Hey, like, what about the people who don't go into pathology and what do our student fellows do? Do they go into mostly pathology or other fields? And, and once they're in those other fields, you know, how, how do they do from there? And so I was thinking someone should write about that. And then I was walking through the hallways of the path department and I ran into one of my mentors, Nicole on Dean, who mm-hmm. was a former student fellow. And now she is on faculty at OHSU. And she said to me, I just got a email from CAP, um, College of American Pathologists, that said, hey, you had six people applying to pathology from your medical school this year. And the year before that, you had four. What's going on at OHSU? Why are there so many people going to pathology? And so she was also thinking about writing about the student fellowship experience, because that's a huge part of it. And so I started talking to her about the student fellowship and I said, you know, someone should write about this and write about what the student fellowship is. And, and she said, uh, why don't you write it? Why don't we write it? And I said, all right, that sounds good. And then here we are. All right. Can you tell me about how the, like the, the sort of research process for, for this, because I mean, this goes back a hundred years. How did you, how did you find this information? <laughs> so it was hard because well, our department would say like, oh, it's been around for a hundred years. This is, we're such an old program. And I said, well, can we back that up? Like, is is there proof of this? Do we have research? And they're like, I don't know. We didn't keep records until like the seventies of the student fellowship and of fellows. And so what I ended up doing was I went to the library and we have amazing libraries at OHSU. And I said, I need help finding proof that we had this student fellowship. And they took me to these original archives and these announcements from oh, it, well, what was then University of Oregon. And we found these graduation announcements that said who student fellows were. Um, we found it was originally like the stipend for it was an award. And so there was a lot of old announcements from like the 1920s and the 1930s saying, oh, this person was awarded the fellowship in pathology for a year. And so they helped me collect all these, you know, primary sources of these old announcements and find it. And we even like found a few obituaries that in the obituaries that said, oh, they they did a year long research and fellowship in pathology when they were a second year med student. And I found that and I'm like, okay, there's one. So that aspect was really fun. And uh, the other aspect of the research that was probably the most difficult was, okay, well, 
I found these names and then we had a list of med students or of, of the former student fellows. So I had names um, starting in about the 60s or so. And then I had to find a way to contact them. And so I was lucky in that a lot of the former student fellows, whether they went into pathology or other fields, stayed at OHSU. And so I was able to search the OHSU database and find them. And um, there's an OHSU alumni network. So I was able to search through the alumni emails, which, you know, most people don't use, but a few did. And I was able to um, get a hold of people that way. And then I just got really good at internet sleuthing. And I found a lot of emails on Google. I found some on Facebook. And I even like gave in and finally got a LinkedIn <laughs> because some people I found on LinkedIn and I needed to contact them. And mm-hmm. so through that way, I was you know, able to get as many email addresses as that I could. How much time would you say that you spent doing all this research? Well, this was all going on in April and May of like the very start of COVID. So (laughs) I have no concept of sense of time. I was just at my house (laughs) doing these things. And so it was definitely quite a few hours and, you know, weeks and, (laughs) but I wasn't really doing anything else. Uh, I couldn't really leave the house and our med school classes were all canceled at that point. So I had a lot of downtime for that. All right. That seems like it was a good use of that downtime. And it kind of, I guess, nice coincidence that that happened at that time, I I guess. (laughs) Yeah, something productive came out of it. Right, right. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the research. One of the things that I found interesting was you talk about in the in the article that this the fellowship, whether or not it helped to steer more, more medical students into pathology. Can you can you talk about that? Sure. So uh, I suspected that part of the reason why we have so many um, pathologists that come out of that match every year. I mean, I think the year that I applied, we had the most out of every any med school um, with six of us. Um, and then three of us had been student fellows. So I knew that, well, that's probably a, a fact, but let's let's prove it. And so um, if one of the questions on our survey is, what did you want to go into before you did the fellowship. And 26% of people were undecided. And I think 14% of people said that they were interested in pathology. And then at the end, when we looked at our match data, 34% ended up going into pathology. So we had gotten a lot more who were not interested in pathology or who were undecided who did choose to go into that field. But then even for the ones that didn't go into pathology, uh, you, you you talk about the benefits that they still got out of the fellowship. Yeah, that was one of my primary goals in the paper that I wanted to show, um, partly because of that conversation with my friends in OB-GYN family medicine way back when. I was like, I want people to know that it's useful. So because if you think about it, so 34.4% went into pathology out of all our student fellows, but that's 66% that went into other fields in medicine. And so I wanted to know what were those fields and and how did you do? And so we actually separately interviewed, or we had a separate portion of our survey that was for non-pathologists that asked questions like, how often do you use the skills that you gained 
during the student fellowship. And it was really cool. Um, I think, um, so for that question, I'm going to double check my facts here. So I have the right, I have my paper pulled up so I don't give any wrong statistics, but let's see here. So for the student fellowship influenced my career and specialty decision, 66% said strongly agree, which I found to be really interesting because that meant that for all, even, you know, only 34% went into pathology, but that it, it was a strong career influencer for much more people. And so I thought that was really cool. It's like, oh yeah, you had more time during your fellowship to really figure out what field was the best for you. And I thought that was really fun. And then another really fun question is we asked, how often do you use the skills that were gained in the student fellowship? And 21% of people said daily. These non-pathologists, every single day, 21% were using those skills. And then another 39% said weekly. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was that was much higher than I was expecting. I thought that they were going to say, oh, you know, I use these a couple times a month or every once in a while. But then I realized, no, like these, you're learning so much more than just like diagnoses and anatomy. You're learning about how to communicate with people and and be on a multidisciplinary team. And, and you're learning about how to understand what a path report means. And if you're a clinician, you're reading path reports every day. Yeah, that's true. I that's that was a really uh, important point when when I was reading the article because having a better understanding of what pathology is, and then you know realizing that you know pathology is is the basis of for pretty much all of medicine. So having a better understanding of the basis of medicine would, and I think you even point this out in the article, it makes you a better doctor regardless of what specialty you're in. Oh, absolutely. And if you think about it, who has to explain to the patient what their cancer diagnosis means? It's the clinician. So if you have the skills to understand the pathology report well, you you know what this pathophysiology is, you know what we mean when we say things like, we stained it for P16, or it has a KI proliferation index of this. If your patient asks, you can answer that and you can help. And it just will give you so much more skills to be able to communicate people's diagnoses so much better. I was going to ask you about, you know, people outside of pathology aren't aware of this fellowship, but it sounds like even many of them in the field aren't. And I think you mentioned in in the article as well that there's only, yeah, it's like there's only 15% of medical schools actually have a fellowship like this. Yes, it's very uncommon, actually. And um, I think there used to be more, but, you know, slowly as departments have, you know, been getting smaller and we've moved away from pathology and pathophysiology kind of in the medical school curriculum in favor of more clinical rotations, it's just kind of (laughs) being put on the wayside. Do you think there are any ways that something like this pathology student fellowship that you can sort of raise awareness about it or, or knowledge of it either, either, you know, within pathology and in other fields as well. 
Well, um, I guess that's partly why I wrote the paper um, right. is that I do want to have this awareness. I think being, I'm very vocal about my path experience. I'm sure my co-residents get annoyed because I'm like, oh, when I was a student fellow, I did this. And when I was a student fellow, like I saw this really cool case. And um, so I talk about it all the time. Everyone knows about it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it's important to be vocal if you don't go into pathology. So for my friends who went into family med, who went into OB-GYN and other fields, I hope they talk about it and they they share how important that experience was for them to their colleagues so that they know that it's not just, you know, a research year. Um, so I think that's one big thing. And this podcast doesn't hurt either. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You know, uh, one other, one other thing about the paper. So while, and you mentioned, I guess, uh, some of this already, but were there any findings while you were doing the research that you found were really surprising? Yes. So I actually was surprised by the overall percentage of people who went into pathology. I thought it was going to be higher. I thought about 50-50, it would be pathologists to non-pathologists, or maybe even a little higher. Uh, like then 50 for path. And so I was pretty surprised that um, it was actually only about a third, which I found fun because, you know, in the pathology experience, I had interactions with the people who went into pathology. Many of them were on faculty, you know, at OHSU. And so I kind of had this idea of like the pathology community, but I had no idea of the community of student fellows who went off to do different things. So I found that to be, I think, a little surprising to me. Uh, I also thought it was interesting. I guess I talked about it a little bit before, just like how much they actually use those skills. Although in retrospect, it's not it's it's not surprising. I mean, pathology is so integral to every part of medicine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In the the show notes to this episode, I'll include a link to this paper because I think you know I I enjoyed it and it was interesting and I think everybody should read it and maybe if there's you know other medical schools that out there that would like to start a program like this maybe this will uh, help them do that. That'd be really fun. I I think it's it's not too much. You know, I, there's funding and all sorts of different things with the department. But I I definitely think that at OHSU, we were a huge benefit. There were only three residents per year at OHSU. And then there was, at least my year, there were four student fellows. So we were half of the trainees that were, you know, there. What's your interaction like with the pathology residents? Like, were you respected by them but you know where were they used to having fellows around so that wasn't a big deal how did that how did that go I think most most did not uh know what the student fellowship was because there's so few and so when we showed up or, or actually we started in January because we had done that condensed month and a half long curriculum hmm. and then the new residents started in July so there was kind of a strange few months in the very beginning where we were, I was a second year med student, but I had a little bit more pathology experience. And I thought it would be uh, weird, like that the residents wouldn't like that. But the first year class that I started with were 
were amazing. And we quickly became like our own cohort of friends and were treated, you know, we were equals and I'm, I'm still very close friends with um, many of the residents from my program and, and not just the residents, the PAs and, and, and the whole department. Um, I really became close with that year. Okay. Okay. That's great. Like you mentioned earlier, so you're currently a second year resident at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Now I'm curious then about pathology subspecialties that are of interest to you. Do you have, have any thought about that at this point? Yeah. So that's another reason why I'm really happy I did the fellowship. It's not just, oh, there was one great faculty member at my institution who made me want to do this. I've had like so many rotations and everything now. And uh, with that experience behind me to actually see what type of pathology I like the best, I definitely like GYN. And I plan on doing the GYN Pathology Fellowship, hopefully at Stanford, um, in my fifth year after I'm done with my anatomic and clinical pathology residency. And then kind of similar to my student fellowship, I'm in no hurry to graduate. I want to do two fellowships. So right now I'm thinking maybe breast or maybe GU, something very surge path heavy, because that's definitely my favorite. Okay. And did these being your favorites, I mean, did that come from the student fellowship or did that develop since you've been a resident? I thought that guide path was too hard when I was a student fellow. (laughs) I was like, this is too much. It's overwhelming. There's so many diagnoses. Um, (laughs) So I didn't really think about it when I was then my first year, my my very first week, um, because we're subspecialized at at Stanford. I had a full week of gyne. So I really was able to see diagnoses over and over again and, and really get a feel for, you know, what these endometrial biopsies look like that I realized whoa, now that I understand this, this is really fun. And I really like this. Oh, what about the teaching aspect? Is that something you plan to continue with? Oh, definitely. So I had a friend when I was a student fellow at OHSU. Um, she was the chief resident. And I, when I was deciding that I liked pathology, and you know, I'm a total people person, I'm definitely an extrovert. And I said to her, you know, you're a chief resident, you've been doing this for a while. Do you miss patient care? Do you miss interacting with patients? And she said, well, actually, I feel like I'm interacting with people all the time in pathology. And I also feel like I'm, by teaching, I'm able to have that strong people connection. So you look in a microscope all day and you're kind of previewing on your own, but then if you go and you tutor it or then you give a lecture, you are getting that like that that kind of people time, <laughs> that you know, uh, that social time. Mm-hmm. Uh and so she said, you know, for me teaching is enough. Like I don't feel like I need to see patients to be happy because I love the combination of pathology plus teaching pathology. And I thought to myself, wow, I feel the same. And I, I, that was one of the things that really, you know, was the clincher for me choosing pathology. I was like, I'm not giving up 
interacting with people, which is just the whole idea that pathologists don't interact with people is like the biggest falsehood. And I'm sick of, I'm sick of having people tell me that. So it's, that's not true at all. But even within that, adding on the teaching, I mean, most pathologists, like it's just part of the job. You're, you're constantly teaching, you're constantly with people. And that combination for me, I think is a really good fit. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That's a great message. Uh, this has been super interesting. I'm really glad we got a chance to connect and to talk about your career so far, to talk about this paper, which I think is 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 really good. So, uh, Dr. Phoebe Hammer, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a real pleasure. Great big thanks to Dr. Phoebe Hammer. Here's a trailer for another episode that I think you'll enjoy, and then I'll be back with some final comments on this episode. What about something like... I don't, I don't even know if this is even possible, but bringing students into the lab, say, for a tour, do you think that would be effective? Yes, we actually do that. Um, that's something I really like to do. We have an amazing automated laboratory where we work, and I think the medical students get super excited to kind of see, you know, they, they know how blood is drawn, but they don't know once it gets in the lab, how does it get from the tube all the way through, you know, pre-analytical pre or analytical post-analytical, all that stuff. So what are all the steps in that in that processing? And it's, they get very excited to see the instruments and how they work and how does the automation line work and what does everyone do in the lab? I think it's also educational for them to understand like why does this particular test take this amount of time, but this particular test take this amount of time? And what are some things that could confound the results, et cetera? So I think it's just a really great opportunity and then seeing the lab move and work definitely is more engaging and exciting for them. And I think ultimately will make more medical students uh, interested in pathology. You can hear more from Dr. Natasha Savage and A Medical Student's Guide to Pathology Residency, Fellowships, and Careers in Episode 81. I always enjoy finding out more about programs like these. There are a lot of great ways to get medical students interested in pathology and Whenever I see a paper written about something like this, I always like to reach out to the authors and see if they'd like to come on the podcast and talk about it. And like Dr. Hammer said, I mean, even if the people that go through the pathology student fellowship don't end up going into pathology as a specialty, at least they understand the importance of the field. Also, I want to thank Dr. Nicole Andine, who was nice enough to connect me with Dr. Hammer. You can find links in the show notes to everything we talked about today, including the paper, 100 Years of the Pathology Medical Student Fellowship. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at People of Path or connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others and together let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being, and you can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network if you'd like to check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.